This is The Huddle with Dave Wyman, Jay Keeps, and Stacey Ross. We have a two-hour preview show for Week 2, Seahawks versus Titans. It's also Seattle's home opener. Let me, uh, before I jump into a preview, hello, Dave, hello, Jake. Um, I have to give you guys a little bit of information since it is the home opener uh, and fans are coming back to Lumen Field. Very exciting. There are some rules, so I'll be repeating these throughout the show so you guys can remember, but uh, there are different rules for vaccinated and unvaccinated fans. Vaccinated fans who are going to the game, listen up. You're going to need a hard copy of your CDC vaccination card. Uh, uh, you can have also a photo of your card or a digital version displayed on your phone um, or a printout version, whatever. You need to have your vaccine card in some form. You can also upload your vaccine card to the Clear Health Pass. I have the Clear app. It's really easy. Uh, that's what I do. So you can visit clearme.com slash health pass for instructions on how to get all of that set up. For unvaccinated fans, you must take a COVID-19 test with 72 hours prior to kickoff. So uh, Sunday's game, as a reminder, is 125 p.m. Um, Thursday before kickoff or something like that would be when you do that. Um, you can display a printed out copy of the negative test or you can have like a digital result on your phone. And the test can be uh, a PCR or rapid test as long as it's verified by a lab. So again, um, a lot of information there, a lot of info. Uh, and I, I know it's a lot, but I'll be repeating it to you guys so that you have it. By the way, if you're bringing kids, any fans under 12, they are not required to have a negative test result, so they're fine. Uh, a reminder on masks, you fans are required to wear masks at all times, regardless of vaccination status. All right, that's a mouthful. And now let's jump into the preview for week two. It's going to be the Titans at Lumen Field against the Seahawks. Wyman, I'll start with you. The Titans opened as probably a favorite in the AFC to certainly be a contender, to certainly win their division, and they were throttled in all three phases by the Cardinals. Yeah, they weren't ready. And we talked to uh, some people back in Tennessee, and you know, one of the things was their offensive line. Uh, Taylor Luan was the left tackle. He didn't play because 11 months ago he had an ACL and uh, so they had to have Quisenberry play the left tackle, who is typically the right tackle. And so they didn't have that continuity. They also had a couple of their offensive linemen that had COVID issues. So they weren't able to practice and, you know, get ready the way that they, that they normally would. And then they just got punched in the mouth by the Arizona Cardinals. The very first play of the game, uh, Chandler Jones jumps inside of uh, Taylor Lewan and tackles Derrick Henry for a three-yard loss. And he had nine carries for eight yards in the first half, mm -hmm. Derrick Henry. This is a guy who ran for 2,000 yards last year, one of eight people in the NFL history to run for over 2,000 yards. And, you know, in the second half, I think he ended up with 58 because he had around 50 yards in the second half um, on eight carries. But, yeah, it's uh, it was just – I talked to somebody back in Tennessee, and they go, hey, thanks for taking care of the Colts. And I said, hey, I uh, wish you could have returned the favor because uh, <laughs> Arizona getting off to – you know, and I didn't know how to feel about that game because you're thinking, well, the Titans are tough and they're coming in here. They're obviously struggling, but – I didn't like seeing Arizona have that much success there, but we'll get to them later down the road. Yes, but we will. I still think, you know, look, I think a lot of people will say kind of over-exaggerate that, oh, they're going to be angry. And, you know, I would say, well, I was always angry. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I don't know that that matters. I right. think you'd rather play a team that's coming off a bad performance than a really good one. But, you know, this is a, a team that's physical and it start, starts from the top 
down their coach Vrabel. I, the guys I talked to back there said Mike Vrabel had to be bleeped like five times in his press conference because he wasn't happy. So yeah, I think they're they're probably going to be they're going to be ready to roll. And uh, you know, I think that they got Derrick Henry, they got uh, our version of DK Metcalf and AJ Brown, and they got Julio yep. Jones, who's good for about ninety five yards a game in his career as far as reception yards go. Yeah, this is going to be a tough challenge, and, and this is something that I was really shocked to see with that performance against the Arizona Cardinals because defensively I did anticipate them being a weaker unit again like they were the year prior. They didn't make a ton of changes that made me think that, man, this group is definitely better than where they were a year ago. So that was something to keep an eye on. They did bring in Bud Dupree from the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, he'll be a better pass rusher than what they had. Uh, but he was a non-factor really in that game last week. But it does come down to the offense. And so that's why I believe when you look at this game, you know, Dave, uh, you, you can correct me if, if you feel differently, but I really feel that this is a huge challenge and task for the Seahawks defense. And if the Seahawks defense can can show up and come ready for the challenge, starting with Derrick Henry, which is one of the more difficult tasks in the NFL to shut that guy down, this becomes a very favorable matchup for the Seahawks. Yeah, and and you know, getting over to the offensive side, since you talk defense, I'll talk offense, Jake. <laughs> I had to get my permission from Jake to do my football one-on-one. I'm like, can I please just have one offensive I was He asked permission. I'm like, what are you asking me for? Of course. Well, you're the offensive guru, man. Nice so. of you to give him one of four touchdowns. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, very generous. I said, can I have some? He's like, okay, you can have one. I had, I had them, you know, all all huddled together. Like, you couldn't, you know, they're <laughs> precious. They're mine. Pre- yes. You can take one of Tyler's. Exactly. One of Tyler's. Exactly. Yeah, so Jake keeps in the film room. Football one-on-one. We got it covered. So did a little offensive stuff. But I I thought offensively, great balance. Like, everybody was happy. Uh, They ran the ball. Pete, that makes Pete happy. 27 carries. Loved it. Yeah, I love what what we saw out of Chris Carson. The other thing was just how – Russell distributed the ball. I mean, it's mm. the way you should think you would think it would go, right? Five targets to Metcalf, five targets to Lockett, and then it went three, three, three to Everett, Disley, and Carson. One of those got nullified because of a penalty, but there was a 20 yard reception that Everett had that got called back because of an yeah. illegal formation. And by the way, I didn't see a ton of that. You know, they didn't cover the end, end line or the tackle, but, you know, with all the shifting and motioning and everything, Five penalties in the first half, but then they they corrected it. Only two in the second half, so there wasn't, you know, it wasn't a uh, a lot of buffoonery as far as you know the whole, you know, getting guys off sides and things like that. But I just thought the way they distributed that, Russell never looked like he was in a panic. He never looked like he was distressed, and that's so different from last year. I feel like at the end of the year, especially, he just lots of times he didn't know where to go with the ball. He knew exactly where to go. And then a couple times he took off running, which was great. So, yeah, I thought I thought the offense got off to a great start. We've got so much of the show to continue to preview. Will Disley's going to join us next. Ryan Neal will join us after that. We'll talk with John Boyle, a reporter, about some of these injuries. So given that so much of the show is going to be about this game in particular, I want to just take like three minutes to focus on one aspect of the game that later on in the show we won't talk about as much, which is the return of fans to Lumen Field for the first time in a year. Dave, I know that uh, you were um, on the call with Rabes for all of these home games. And it was surreal to to watch the games with no fans. 
The only thing I did like was you could hear the uh, players complaining to the officials. That was funny. <laughs> there was a, uh, an, I can't remember, I almost said elderly. He was a veteran player. An elderly player. For the Cowboys. <laughs> that You could hear him going, you got to be kidding me, to, you know, yelling at the official. But yeah, that was cool. You could hear the crack of the pads, but it was just so empty, man. I mean, it was cool hearing the guys all cheer, but, mm-hmm. you know, if the fans had been in there on mm-hmm. Cam Newton's fourth down stop um oh, man. oh the sack of uh kyler murray against arizona yep how about uh ryan neal who we're going to talk to his yes, interception, interception in the end zone against the cowboys i mean there was a there was a uh a safety against the cowboys i mean how about this jamal adams hasn't entered a stadium with fans for the seahawks yeah you know well well that's right because down in miami yeah he wasn't there yeah, you're right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, th- there were so many things that that were great. What about the Minnesota game? A fourth and ten completion. Oh. Oh, completion man. was the touchdown throw. A fourth. Yeah, and, yeah. Fourth, fourth down, down as well. And the Seahawks had stopped them on third and fourth down the 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 uh, series pr- prior to that. So yeah, there were so many great moments that just would have been so loud. I think they would have broken records last oh, year. It, it was, and and that's what I kept thinking last year as as we're reacting and pumped for what we were witnessing in the game, I just thought to myself how much bigger these moments would have been with the fans in the stands and being able to see that interaction. And so I'm super fired up to watch this. I'm super fired up to have the 12s back in Lumen Field and to see a lot of guys who haven't played in front of the 12s. Carlos Dunlap, Jamal Adams. You look at uh, Daryl Taylor, Jordan Brooks. I mean, there's just a lot of guys that have not had that experience defensively and what that will feel like to them. And having the 12s in there is an advantage, especially on the defensive side of the ball. So I just can't wait to see that energy, that that enthusiasm, that excitement between the players and the fans. It's a special relationship. All right, tight end Will Disley going to join us next. After that, Ryan Neal will come on with us. Then we've got some injuries to look at for this team. we got a good show for you. It's the huddle. Don't go anywhere. All right, a phenomenal game from Seattle's offense. We'll be joined here in just a couple minutes by Will Disley. You're listening to The Huddle with Dave Wyman, Jake Heaps, and Stacey Ross. Yes, we're going to be looking ahead to week two, but also what a start to the season for Seattle on the road against a tough team, and you have a really solid day from the defensive line, from Russell Wilson, from the receivers, from Chris Carson. I mean, that play especially by Will Disley. Dave, I know you loved that one. Oh, man. Just slam the guy to the ground. Yeah. I mean, Uncle Will, he's such a nice guy, you know? Yes, he is. You know, one of the characteristics about him that I love, he's one of the very few athletes, like I ran into him down in Vegas and we were walking through the hotel. He asked me like 50 questions. He's like, oh, so so what are you doing or what are you doing? Did you what'd you do this off season? I mean, usually the, the players, yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, I just I love Will. He's he's a great blocker. I thought also we found out something that maybe was a question mark. Gerald Everett can block. He had a couple of blocks in that game that I was like, okay, this guy can block. That's, I thought, a question because he's a smaller guy. I mean, he's mm-hmm. probably a little bit bigger than DK Metcalf, but more of a receiver size and, and great hands. He catches a touchdown. I know he's frustrated about the 20-yarder he got that got called back, but man, and, and he caught everything that was thrown to him. And so, plus he can block. So it was really nice to see that. And uh, yeah, I, I think... You know, two of my favorite players are Will Disley and Chris Carson, where I think if they can just stay healthy and if you just get him the ball, you know, Carson, 
the formula to me anyway is 18 carries. Get him 18 carries a game, he's going to get you 1,000 yards because mm-hmm. that's what his history says. And then Disley, if he can, you know, he only got 29 targets last year. Mm-hmm. And I know they had Greg Olson and, and all that, but I just I felt like if they'd targeted him more, I mean, you throw it to him, he's going to catch it. And he's also kind of a touchdown machine. Yeah, speaking of the the lack of targets overall, the tight ends, I felt, were underutilized as a whole last season. Totally. And Jake, I know you've talked about it. Wyman, I know you and Bob have talked about it. Um, I know that it's one game, but it feels already like there's more of an emphasis. I mean, on that touchdown drive for Everett, you had Wis- uh, Disley and Everett involved there. Yeah, tr- I've I've told you guys, this offensive system is going to use the tight ends. Why? Because it's in the DNA of where Shane Waldron came from. And it is also in the DNA of this offense to have a more sophisticated short to intermediate pass game. Who does that benefit? That benefits tight ends. Who does that benefit? Dave's guy, Will Disley. Right? It it just... One of the things that really was hard for the tight ends to get involved over the last nine seasons is that this offense was so much of a vertical down-the-field pass game that it, it was difficult to get tight ends involved consistently enough. And Disley is one of those guys that I think can totally dominate the middle, intermediate aspect of the field. And when you give him those opportunities, he's going to catch it. Not only is he going to catch it, but he's got sneaky run-after catchability. It's not because of, yeah. of the gracefulness. It's because he's a bulldog out there when he gets the ball in his hands, as he showed. He just shoves people off him. He bounces off people. Um, he's he's truly a load to tackle out there. Then you add Gerald Everett, who really is this chess piece that you can move around and utilize and utilize him in tight end screens and outside perimeter screens. It These two guys present a very unique challenge for defenses if you can get them involved. Wyman, you've defended obviously that part of the field before and I'm sure you've faced your share of uh, really tough tight ends as well and and running backs and uh, that's that's kind of the battle I'm sure Seattle hopes to put on other teams with guys like Disley guys like Carson Um, what were I guess some of the challenges with the most successful versions of that that you saw well one of the things like using the running back for example you know you hit him with a check down that's a four yard pass that goes through the air a guy like Carson's going to get you three, four at least. And how many times was he stopped or in negative yardage situations? I think his, I think his shortest run was three yards, but it looked like he should have been tackled for a one-yard loss. He's so good at that. So, you know, I mean, you get a guy like that out in space, he'd much rather start there with like maybe a linebacker or a corner or something than a whole defensive front in front of you, right. you know? Yeah. So you know, you look at the averages, it's always like seven or eight yards per catch for him. Um, you know, and it's, you're doing great if you run at four and a half, five, you know, as far as your average goes, running the ball. So that's where I think they're using them. And if they're safe passes, you know, I guess there's no safe passes, totally safe passes. But <laughs> Some more risk averse easy, passes. Yeah, less yeah. risk. It's not like you're, you're throwing it downfield. You know, why not? So I, I like that. Again, I thought the whole thing, if you look at it, Russ never looked like he was in a panic or in a desperate situation. He always had somewhere to go. So that was, uh, yeah, I think, the, I think the number three receiver as far as attempts is going to either be a tight end or a running back. Would love to see that. Certainly, you'd hope to see, obviously, D. Eskridge involved more, uh, rookie wide receiver, but would love to see the tight ends involved. Speaking of, Will Disley joining us right now. I don't want to steal uh, Wyman's question for you, Will, but <laughs> I have to ask it anyways. Uh, he was so pumped, as were uh, fans that were there at the game, Seahawks fans uh, in Tennessee, to see that stiff arm that you gave. I mean, how'd that feel in the moment? Walk us through it. 
Yeah, I mean it was uh, it was a good check down. I mean, we were kind of rolling there in the in the second half and uh, made a play, got a first down, kept the drive going, and you know it was really just a fun day. You know it was a lot of highlights from everyone around the offense, and um, you know just ready to go this week now. Put some more on tape. Well, this is Jake. I mean, come on, man, don't downplay that. You were just straight up yeah. disrespectful to that defender. You were mean, uh, shoving him off the side, and then you see it in slow mo. I don't know if it felt like that to you in the moment, but you kind of stared at him as you saw him go by and then took <laughs> off. I mean, that was that was that was pretty tough, dude. I loved it. Yeah, no, it's good to be back. I mean, game one, he's kind of you know when you're going through the week, you just envision those plays and and to have it happen, you know. It was kind of fun. I'm not going to lie to you guys. <laughs> <laughs> well, this, uh, you know, one of the other things that was really fun is to see this offense and to see the multiplicity of it, to see the creativity of it, and to get the tight ends involved. I mean, it was awesome to see. Um, how do you guys feel as a whole coming out of that game? We feel great. I mean, you know, Gerald and I came out, you know, healthy, and Tyler Mabry got, you know, his first experience in the NFL. And, you know, as, as a unit, you know, we just kind of build off each other, and we're all trying to make plays. And, um, you know, G found the end zone, and able to get a couple balls, and then we'll get Tyler a catch here down the road. So, you know, all in all, the offense kind of executed as we wanted to, and um, we can still get better, no doubt about it. You know, there's definitely some plays we can clean up and be a better offense, which is the scary part. Um, you know, everyone, everyone made plays. Everyone was explosive, and you know, we're just, you know, we're excited to go do it again on Sunday. Uh, Will, I'm going to be really honest with you. Moment of honesty just between the two of us is I had my doubts as to whether or not with a new offensive coordinator, a new playbook, uh, you guys would have such a seamless execution of it and I know that you guys know the things that you want to do better for fans watching it seemed pretty smooth uh, from the outside so I mean how do you feel about what this offense can do this year did it feel like taking in a whole new playbook or did it feel like just fixing a few things here and there no, I mean, Shane brought a lot of newness. Um, you know, a lot of the old stuff that, you know, we've done really well for a really long time and stayed in the playbook, obviously. But um, Shane just brings a new twist, a new coaching um, style. He brought Andy along and him and Mike Solari doing a great job with the run game and everything kind of marries itself. So uh, we were really excited to get a hold of the playbook, get rolling, you know, fall camp. I think there were some ebbs and flows of the newness and whatnot. But, um, you know, we were really excited, you know, game one on the road against a really good defense who um, – um, took the ball away a lot last year. So to go out and compete like we did, you know, was a really great start. You know, we're not satisfied. We're going to keep going and, and keep working for sure. You know, this one of the things that was talked about is, you know, I think this was Gerald Everett, you know, post game was saying that, hey, our offense is just getting started. There's there's a whole lot more, you know, coming your guys' way just you watch. And that's one thing to hear from, from you guys who are excited about what you guys can do. But, you know, how much is there? How much more is there in this playbook that you guys just didn't get a chance to, to, to show off here in this, this game against the Colts? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, there is a ton left in the tank, which is the cool part about it. Obviously, I can't tell you over the radio what we have in store for those teams coming down the line, but uh, there's a lot of explosiveness coming. Um, you know, a lot of guys are going to have an opportunity to have breakout games, and, you know, it's kind of just the, the beauty of our offense. You know, we can just take what the defense gives us, you know, with the playmakers that we have. Um, you know, week to week, it's, it's going to be predicated on what the defense allows us to do and not do, and, you know, at the end of the day, our goal is to win the game. So we're going to go out there. We're going to work with high efficiency and score a lot of points and try and help our team you know win that last game he is tight end will disley will thanks so much for joining us good luck this sunday 
I appreciate you. Go, Go get him, Will. All right, our player interviews not done. Defensive back Ryan Neal going to join us next on the huddle. Don't go anywhere. This is the huddle with Dave Wyman, Jake Heaps, and Stacey Rost getting you guys ready for the Seahawks week two game against the Titans. By the way, that's also the first or it's the home opener for the Seahawks in the first game uh, at Lumen Field as a Lumen Field and also B in like more than a year, which is wild. As a reminder, you guys are going to get so sick of me reminding you about this, but I don't want you to get there and forget it. Do not forget your mask, regardless of whether or not you're vaccinated. You will need your mask uh, in the facility, obviously except when you're eating or drinking, but do not forget your mask at all. I'm going to remind you. I'm going to keep being your nagging friend that's reminding you. Uh, guys, when we're looking at this Tennessee Titans offense, I know they didn't have the best outing against the Cardinals defense. Chandler Jones had five sacks, which is wild, uh, but they do have a ton of weapons. Derrick Henry, um, A.J. Brown, you have Julio Jones. You have, I mean, a, a, a good offensive line, at least pieces of it. They didn't look like it in this past game, but they are good. Uh, we're going to be joined by Ryan Neal in just a bit, so I want to talk about the role the safeties are going to have, but let's just expand it to the secondary as a whole. Cornerbacks are a question for this game. Uh, they have strength at safety. Jake, I'll start with you for this one. We'll just kind of go back and forth here with like what they need to do in this one. What's, what's the key for specifically the secondary? The secondary for the Seahawks. Yeah. Uh, I think that when you're talking about this group, the communication has to be really strong. You have to be on your P's and Q's when it comes to not just A.J. Brown and Julio Jones, but also the play-action game. There were a couple times that I saw in the game just little examples, and ultimately it didn't hurt them. But you could see that there were moments where Jamal Adams bit too hard on a play-action fake, which then puts the corner in a bind in cover three because Jamal Adams is supposed to have the flat and DJ Reed is deep over the top and his deep third, but he, but he has to play in between. So those are the little things from a defensive perspective that you have to work with in cohesion so that you don't put other guys in stressful situations. Yeah, I was thinking about the one of the deep crossers. It was the one where Quandre Diggs comes up and just wallops the receiver, almost knocks the ball loose. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so underneath droppers – Got to help them out there. Yeah. All right. And uh, to help us, I guess, take a look at what the secondary can do in this one and kind of the outlook for the year. Speaking to a member of the secondary himself, it's defensive back Ryan Neal. Ryan, how are you? I'm doing great. How about you? How you guys doing? Fantastic. We're really excited to see you guys uh, play at home for the home opener. And Ryan, Dave mentioned this, uh, Dave Wyman, and it reminded me um, – Obviously, you didn't have fans at Lumen Field last year, and there were so many moments uh, that fans didn't get to see. And one of them was your interception uh, of Dak Prescott when you guys faced the Cowboys at home. It was such a cool moment for your team. Guys were erupting on the sidelines, but no fans. Are you excited to finally play in front of them? Man, heck yeah, I'm excited to play in front of them. I mean, my first year when I got here before COVID, I mean, just seeing the magic of, you know, the stadium, the field, the fans all in one was just incredible. Like I always reference uh, the Thursday night game against the Rams. We were wearing all green and it came down to a field goal. And, you know, Jay Ma made it and just hearing that place erupt just kind of stuck with me for a long time. And I was on practice squad at the time. So I just tell guys all the time, like, man, this is going to be, you know, it's going to be fun. Man, I, I just really can't wait to see that energy come back to life and the magic Come back, so I'm I'm definitely excited. Yeah, and Ryan, you know I I'm, I think it was like seven plays 
you, you might be the guy that has the most picks in the least uh, amount, <laughs> amount of time. Because I want to say it was like the next game against Miami. It was a, the first series, maybe, where you got that interception. Yeah, I, I think it was the first series. In fact, <laughs> yeah, ball. I was like, oh, they go another one. <laughs> yeah, so it was like for a while there, like every five or six plays, Ryan Neal gets an interception. That's a man. You got to keep that up, Ryan. <laughs> I'm trying to. <laughs> I'm trying to believe that. <laughs> Ryan, you guys have a really unique uh, secondary group. I mean, you guys are so incredibly versatile. It, it really is impressive. I mean, you just go down the list of the different things that you guys can do. Y- you yourself having background being a corner, you're playing mm-hmm. safety. I mean, just all you guys. So what has that been like, you know, as a unit, as a group, using that versatility? I think it's cool because since a lot of guys have that versatility, especially the especially guys like Quandre, who I kind of admire, having played nickel and been a starter at nickel, having played safety, been a starter at the safety positions and a little bit of corner, just guys really it just comes down to feeding off the knowledge and the education for one another. And then it just it, overall, it just puts the picture together for everyone. You know what I mean? The more versatile guys are, everybody can see it from a different perspective. And it really just puts the whole picture together. And I, I think that's the benefit of having multiple guys who have played multiple positions, you know what I mean? Like, we understand the stresses of the defense, uh, you know, to certain positions, to the corner, to a safety, and so everybody can kind of, like, understand what they need to do in order for, you know, coverages and defenses to work, and so that's what that uniqueness uh, of the versatility brings out amongst the whole room, you know what I mean? Like I said, everybody has had their fair share at different spots, and it just puts the whole picture together for everyone, so I think that's pretty cool. Speaking of Quandre, uh, Ryan, does he talk as much trash in person as he does on Twitter because he's oh, like he a don't, champ. He don't stop. He don't stop. It's 24-7. I mean, if, if Quandre were to get put in the casket, you'll probably hear mumbling from the casket. I mean, he's not going he's not going to stop. That's just the type of dude he is. So, yeah, he's nonstop trash talker. <laughs> what about so i don't know i could never do that because i'd get too tired like in between yeah. plays Thinking i'm trying something. to i'm <laughs> gasping it you know but uh some guys can just go and it seems like uh, the the same thing with jamal adams i mean that guy oh, never yes. stops Oh, never stop. I mean, he goes all four quarters from the beginning <laughs> to the very, very end. You will hear 33 out there yelling, screaming. I mean, that's just him. He even does it in walkthrough. I mean, you just see he did it today. He's just yelling at people in walkthrough. I'm like, man, this dude is crazy. I mean, both of them, they both crazy. I mean, I guess it's that, 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 that Texas bloodline or something, but, uh-huh. you know, that's just how they roll, man. <laughs> that's how they roll. Uh, it's fun to have that energy in there with, with you guys. But, you know, you yourself – bring a lot of energy, bring a lot of juice. And right now you obviously have shown that you can step in this role and and play it extremely well uh, if Mm. your number is called. Uh, Mm. But you are contributing on special teams in a big way for this team. Mm. Uh, How much pride do you take in that work and that opportunity to get after it on special teams? Oh, I take a lot of pride in it because, you know, guys like me coming in undrafted, trying to make a roster, that was your gateway. You know what I mean? That's your golden ticket to uh, get into the league. And so for me, it just it reminds me of all the times that I just – I wish that I could have been a gunner, that I wish that I could have been on kickoff, you know, being a practice squad guy watching games. I'm just like, man, I wish I could do that. You know what I mean? So being able to do it now, I take nothing but pride in it. I'm grateful for it and thankful for it. And I just know, you know, even on special teams, you can make a big play. You can make a game-changing play, blocking punts or causing a phone or 
anything. So it's just another opportunity to make something great happen. So I take a lot of pride in special teams, man. It's my bread and butter. Hey, Ryan, preparing for this team, you know, and a lot of teams are not playing their, their starters in the preseason. And then, you know, they go out and they have a game that's very uncharacteristic of what, you know, they're about. I mean, obviously, A.J. Brown and Julio Jones. How, how do you go about prepping for this? Are you looking at stuff from last year? Also, uh, early in the season, it's a little bit tougher. Yeah, definitely. Um, you, you look at it all, man. You look at the you know the last game they played, and you do got to do some homework and dig in the past because that's what teams will do to you. You know what I mean? They try to see what what you what you guys are in and what you've been running, what you stay true to, and uh, it takes a lot of homework to do that. You know what I mean? You got to dig in and all the details and just see inklings that just that may pop up again. So you know, early in the season it is a little bit tougher. Um, you got to you know, you, of course, you got to go back into last year, the couple of things that they ran late in the season. But you know, you you got the first game to check the film out. And, uh, you know, you got to do your homework. <laughs> you got to do your homework early in the season. He is Seahawks safety, Ryan Neal. Ryan, I know you guys are busy. I know you've got a bunch of stuff to do this season. But can you please join us again in the future? This was such a fun interview. Oh, absolutely. I'm always down. Fantastic. <laughs> always down. Fantastic. Awesome. We need like 30 minutes with you, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> hey, I'm with it, man. You let me know. Give me the call. I'll pick up the phone. <laughs> you can't wait. Thank you, Ryan. Yes, sir. Thank you. He is safety, Ryan Neal. All right. I know you guys have uh, a ton of questions for this upcoming matchup, including injury questions. Who's going to be available? Uh, who may not be? So John Boyle, a reporter for Seahawks.com, going to join us next. Don't go anywhere. This is The Huddle. You are listening to The Huddle with Dave Wyman, Jake Heaps, and Stacey Rost. Fans are returning to the stadium for the first time in a year. It is the Seahawks' home opener, a Week 2 game versus the Tennessee Titans. Before we get started here, i got to remind you guys, first of all, don't forget your mask. Make sure you bring that regardless of vaccination status. And secondly, all attendees age 12 and over will be required to provide proof of COVID-19 vaccination for entry. Uh, If you do not have a vaccination card or verification, you can just present a negative COVID test. That result has to be from a test taken 72 hours prior. So if you're going to the game this Sunday, I would recommend going to get tested today. And if you have your vaccination card, you're fine. Just make sure you have a copy of it, digital or otherwise. Does King County have on their website uh, testing sites? That is a great question. Yes. Uh, You know what? Uh, During the break, I'll look up uh, websites and then in the next one, I'll tell you guys where you can go uh, get some of those. Uh, All right. Joining us right now to talk about the Seahawks upcoming game, including a look at where this team stands with injuries. It is John Boyle, reporter for Seahawks.com. Hello, John. Hi, Stacy. How you doing? Good. Fantastic. We just had um, the best interview with Ryan Neal. I had no idea he was so fun. Like, I almost had tears in my eyes. He's so funny. Well, I'm sorry for your listeners that they go from that to me. But no. Hey, he's, <laughs> he's an entertaining guy. Yeah, he's wonderful. He's wonderful. Um, so I have to uh, obviously, John, I always do this. I apologize in advance. You, you already, do. you know, I know who I, I know am. I coming. Okay, so let's I'm take a look. I'm the same thing that we just don't know anything by Wednesday. No, Okay, okay. <laughs> well, let's take a look at these injuries. Uh, we do know at least that running back Rashad Penny uh, will not make this one, but the fact that they didn't place him on IR uh, so far to me indicates that they maybe think it could take less than three weeks. So um, we'll just we'll just start with him. Uh, is that also kind of what you're assuming? And then uh, in, in secondly, what's the latest with D. Eskridge? Yeah, I mean, in terms of Penny, I would, I would say that, you know, it's obviously encouraging that they haven't done anything yet. I, I would maybe withhold some caution until we get through the week because, you know, if they always decided come Saturday they need that roster spot, there's really no difference between making that move on a Tuesday or a Saturday if they know 
he's not practicing and playing this week. But, you know, again, it doesn't sound like anything real long-term either way. The nice thing with this new IR rule is you can do that. Like, for example, Posick, it's not anything super serious, but you can buy that roster spot for a few weeks by putting a guy on IR. Uh, D. Eskridge, we don't know much yet other than that he wasn't here Wednesday, which I would obviously say is not super encouraging. It's tough for anyone to get through the COVID protocol in one week. It's more often than not guys don't do it. The fact that Penny Hart was able to practice yesterday is a good sign, but just kind of on the opposite of that, the fact that Eskridge was at home is probably not as encouraging. Hey, John, I probably could just turn to my left and ask Jake this question, but just from your perspective, <laughs> Russ seems very happy. So I'm just looking at like his interviews and afterwards the post game, and then Pete kind of got into the act a little bit. Remember in the post game, he said something about Russ was cooking and oh, I shouldn't have said that and all that good <laughs> stuff. But it just seems like Russ is very, very happy, very um, just satisfied with the with the way things are going with this offense right now. Yeah, look, I mean, I think there's two things at play here. One, he wants to win. This is the most important one. He wants to win. I mean, Jake could talk to this more than I can. He knows Russell a lot better than I do. But this guy wants more than anything to win championships. And so if he is after being in this camp or being in camp in this offense and now seeing it in the game and liking what he sees, he knows that gives them the best chance to win. And I think he just seems to be very content with the situation here in terms of the guys around him, the the system they brought in with Shane Waldron, the relationship with Shane Waldron that we just keep hearing Pete Carroll rave about that connection those two have. So, yeah, I mean, look, I know things maybe got a little weird this offseason, but it sure seems like everybody's in a great place right now, the quarterback yeah. included. You know, John, uh, one of the other things that was so impressive to watch in this last game against the Indianapolis Colts is the group effort by the defensive line. And it, it's really cool to see a group that – You've got good talent, but there's not necessarily one individual star that you're looking at and saying, okay, this guy, we're, we're counting on this guy to have 15 sacks this year. Um, is this something that you see as sustainable for this group? We have all contributors performing at this high, high of a level? I really do. I mean, other than, you know, on the offense, we wanted to know what it was going to look like, and it was encouraging. To me, the biggest question, other than what the offense is going to look like, is what's the pass rush like? I mean, you go back to the last year, and really the defense, when it turned things around, it's because the pass rush got going. And I think we all knew coming into this year, if they can get after the passer, they're going to be pretty good defense. If they can't, they might struggle a little. So to see that many guys contribute, you know, you go back to the preseason, we were seeing the Alton Robinsons, Rashad, or Rasheem Greens, Daryl Taylor's getting things going. But you always wonder, okay, how much of that is because they're going against backup linemen? You know, what's this going to look like in the regular season? So to come out week one and get that kind of pressure throughout the game from a bunch of guys, that that's a really good sign for this defense. Did you have the feeling leaving training camp because you were there for all those practices watching these guys before fans got a, a chance to? Did you get the feeling leaving that this group is probably underrated heading into the season? Yeah, I mean, depends on who you ask. Because I, some people, you know, I've heard people say this is the deepest line since 2013, and people who have been high on this group the whole time. So, you know, they're not underrated in those people's eyes. But there's been a lot of other people coming at it from the, okay, they've got a lot of guys they like, but there is no proven. Like Jacob saying, you don't have the 15 sack guy. I mean, Dunlap in his prime was close to that, but. Sorry, I'm not trying to imply Carlos Dunlap is not in his prime anymore. Don't get mad at me if you hear this, Carlos Dunlap. However, <laughs> you don't have probably the Chandler Jones types who's going to go get you five sacks in the game, but you've got a whole bunch of guys who can get the job done. And I, I do think that maybe a lot of people were thinking without the true stud all-pro type, you might not 
get the production you need. Yeah, I wonder if Daryl Taylor is that dynamic guy. You know, you yeah, talked no. about like a Chandler Jones. Outside, yeah, yeah I, I wonder if he, he can be. But uh, I want to talk about Rasheem Green just because I love that kid. I mean, he came in here. He wasn't even 21 years old when he was drafted. And this is his fourth year. It just seems like he's really cutting it loose. And we had him on uh, on this week. But, you know, what he did in the preseason was for real. I mean, and he's doing he did it on Sunday against a really good offensive line. And, you know, it's not like he's incredibly huge. He's not like super, you know, fast or anything like that. But that guy's just such a good football player. And I think he's it looks, John, like he's kind of upped his game to where you know, before maybe he gets three, four sacks. Now, you know, maybe he gets into the double digits the way he's playing right now. Yeah, and you know, Pete Carroll's talked about this a little bit this offseason. They they moved him a little bit to more of a outside edge role. He was a guy that just kind of the makeup he has physically, he's a the kind of guy you can move inside and out. And we did see him line up inside some, but they are letting him get on that edge rush a little more and he's thriving in that role. And to your point, this this looks real. You know, he was one of those guys, like I was saying earlier, you wonder, okay, will this translate? All these guys look good in the preseason. What's it gonna look like? And there's boom right off the bat. He gets sack early in the game and he's being kind of a menace all game so yeah he's and to your point too he's young still i mean that's yeah you forget that a guy you know a guy been in the league for a few years you think he's in his mid-20s but he or in his late 20s but he came in so young he's you know he, he's got a lot of good football ahead of him still john there's another preseason uh all pro that uh caught a lot of people's attention and was a you know a good portion of the talk in town during the preseason uh, was Alex Collins and how well he was doing. And obviously it's a bummer to have Rashad Penny uh, be out for at least three weeks, but you get a chance to see Alex Collins and see if he can be a factor in that rotation with Chris Carson. What do you anticipate from him? Yeah, you know, I think if he gets his chances, he's going to be good. We, we saw it throughout the preseason and training camp. And, you know, unfortunately with, you know, just the way the numbers work and special teams, you know, DJ Dallas and Travis Homer are big special teams guys, so that's why they're going to be active ahead of an Alex Collins on game day when everybody's healthy. But I think when, you know, assuming Penny doesn't go this week is what we think is going to happen, Collins jumps into that number two role in terms of the running back touches. And, I, you know, he, I, I would be surprised if he doesn't break off a few good runs just because everything we've seen about him since he got back to this team last year and especially this summer, he's just looked faster more explosive than the guy who came in here as a rookie is there a player on the seahawks team that maybe didn't have the biggest test in week one that will have a much bigger challenge in week two i mean i got a point to the cornerbacks you know the the colts they're missing their best guy in ty hilton and they're going to lean pretty heavy on that run game and the seahawks did a really good job taking care of what they needed to last week and that defense played really well but this is a much bigger test for that defense when you've got A.J. Brown and Julio Jones coming in. So I, I really am excited to see kind of what that looks like for, for Trey Flowers and D.J. Reed going against, you know, one of the best receiving duos they're going to see all year. John, you know, one of the things that's popular to say, and I guess I probably said it before, is, oh, the Titans are going to be angry when they come in here. And, you know, I was saying, well, I was always angry. And the other thing is you'd <laughs> rather play a team that's coming off a bad performance than a good performance. What's What's been your experience? Because you got you can't say that this team isn't going to be stung, right? I mean, their playoff team the last two years, their, their leader's pretty fiery. You know, uh, what do you expect for the Titans coming in here? What, how have you approached games like this in the past? I, I feel like when you talk about like a high school team, then the emotion can play yeah. into it more. I just, I feel like at this level, like, look, 
teams have bad games, maybe it's a matchup thing, maybe it's somebody injured, but I don't think it affects teams from week to week as much at this level when it's their job as it might younger guys in college or high school. I, I do think they're going to play a lot better just because they're a better team than what they showed. Like teams in the NFL, if a game gets away from team a little bit, teams are good enough to capitalize, and Arizona did that, and they took it to them really well. But I, I, I would be pretty surprised whether it's because they're fired up and mad about last week or just because they execute better and guys play a little better. I, I, I do think the Seahawks are going to see a much better version of the Titans. I totally agree with everything you just said. I mean, you're <laughs> right. It's like the emotions and all that. That's kind of high school stuff. But And, of course, they're going to play better. You might as well just wrap your mind around that because they're yes. not nearly as exactly bad as they right. were. He is John yeah. Boyle, reporter for Seahawks.com, also joins us every Thursday on The Huddle. Thanks, John. Thank you. All right, fans are going to be back at Lumen Field to curb the spread of COVID-19. And for safety protocols, they are going to have a vaccine and mask policy. As a reminder, make sure to bring your mask. And all attendees 12 and over will be required to provide proof of COVID uh, vaccination for entry. Or you can have a negative COVID test taken 72 hours prior. And Dave, you said you've got a... A list of locations? Yeah, well, if you go to King County's website yeah. and just type in uh, testing locations. I went last year in Renton. It was a, a drive-through thing because after the bye week, I wanted to get tested. And, mm -hmm. yeah. you know, they uh, will text you or email you your results. So if you want to do that, if you go to the King County website, they've got all kinds of uh, different testing sites around the Puget Sound. Okay, so if you do not have a vaccination card, I would recommend going to get tested today to make sure you get it within that 72-hour window. Again, uh, that website uh Dave, just let you know, that's exactly where I would go to look. Okay, coming your way next, there was a big injury on the Seahawks' offensive line. Ray Roberts going to tell us what we can expect for this group moving forward. You are listening to The Huddle with Dave Wyman, Jay Keeps, and Stacey Ross. We are going in the trenches with Ray Roberts uh, to talk about what the Seahawks' offensive line uh, can do going forward against Tennessee and also what we saw against Indy. Don't forget to look back a little bit. Ray, how are you? How about you guys? Fantastic. I mean, I'm going to start with kind of a, a really obvious one, but you've got a lot of insight here, too, having watched both of these centers in training camp. So Ethan Posick placed on the injured reserve with a sprained knee. He'll be out a minimum of three games. That means that this team is going to turn to Kyle Fuller as their starting center. Ray, what would you see from Kyle either in camp and through the through the season or excuse me, preseason? Yeah, so I, I've always, uh, you know, from the very beginning of training camp, I thought Cal offered a more, a stronger, more stable um, person at uh, player at that position. Uh, Ethan, as, as much as I love him, he's not the most uh, overpowering player. He's more of a position type blocker, so he's not going to just be a road grader and drive people off the ball. Uh, I was a little bit uh, concerned when they were rotating uh, them during the Indianapolis game because I just felt like. Uh, those guys needed to get into a rhythm. They just need to pick a dude and let him get into a rhythm with those two guards. So then you start to figure out each other's strengths and weaknesses and where you can, on certain plays, uh, you know, where, where the center's going to need a, you know, extra help or, you know, uh, really building that chemistry. Uh, when you're rotating guys in like that, when you haven't had those kind of live reps, it's kind of hard to do that and everyone's a little bit off. So I I kind of I think that Cal has an oppor opportunity to kind of settle in and get into a rhythm with those two guys to be an effective center for the Seahawks. Mm -hmm. Hey, Ray, I thought about you. There was a play, 
and it was the 33-yard run by Chris Carson where that one kind of stopped at the line of scrimmage. But Gabe Jackson, I think he was coming off a double team, and then he went over and blocked another guy. And I thought, number one, he just rooted that guy up. I think it was that Grover Stewart guy. And then the other thing was I just thought the coordination with Carson, just being patient and waiting for him to execute that block was just a – it was a beautiful thing, Ray. I got got a tear in my eye, and I'm sure you did too as an offensive lineman. (laughs) Uh, it was awesome because like when I was watching the film of Gabe Jackson, that was the thing that he was awesome at. He was he was great at being able to secure the down lineman with the double team, whether it's with the tackle or with the or with the center. And then he was able to always get himself up to the second level defender in a way that he could. Uh, you weren't chasing, but he, his body was in a position to actually make the block. And a lot of that falls down to like technique, your footwork, your pad level, keeping square. You know, taking the proper steps so that you can set yourself up to be able to get to the second level in a way that you can that you can make an impact like that. And then Chris Carson just does a great job of knowing when to just run really hard downhill and just hit the pile and move the pile and when to be patient to allow those uh, a hole like that to open. And it was a beautiful thing because it did look like it was clogged up right there at the line of scrimmage. And then all of a sudden, uh, Gabe Jackson pried open the shoulder of the defensive lineman and then went up to the second level. And it's like the floodgates opened. And then uh, Chris was able to get through that hole. So uh, that type of stuff is beautiful. It's, it's, and the cool thing would be, able to break that down for people to understand that it wasn't just big guys pushing against big guys and all of a sudden the hole came open. Like, there's technique and a plan yeah. and strategy to it all. And uh, and I think that piece of it Gabe brings to this team in a way that they haven't had it here before. Ray, something that we talked about all last season was, hey, even when things were going successfully offensively, there was not this connectivity that you and I wanted to see fully which always made you somewhat uneasy about well, sustainability, but also just, you know, in terms of playoff level football, you got to have both elements working together. I have to imagine when you were watching this offense come week one against the Colts that you were just salivating seeing that connectivity of Shane Waldron's offense. Well, absolutely. Like, you know, I, you know, last year the term we were u- using was marrying uh, the, the run game to the defense, I mean, to the uh, pass game. And I felt bad because I didn't bring a wedding gift to the studio <laughs> with me because uh, it, it looked uh, – it was beautiful. It was a beautiful thing, man. Like when like uh, when you see the, the, pre-snap, the pre-snap motion and then the at-the-snap uh, movement that's happening and you can't tell if it's the run or the pass and, uh, and then they ran the ball and passed the ball off of all that same motion. Uh, it, to me, it just looked like, uh, like a match made in heaven, this downhill, uh, a lot of movement, eye candy, if you want to call it, uh, uh, in the backfield that kind of creates lanes for, for guys to run. But then also, uh, you know, Russell can pull the ball and, and throw it. To me, it was a beautiful thing. And then my my biggest uh, uh, fear was that, okay, last year they also started the season out throwing a bunch of screens, and then they all of a sudden got away from it. And so my fear is that they get away from all that stuff. But I don't feel like Shane is going to do that. So I, I was jumping for joy to see it. And I was anticipating that happening just from what we saw in, in uh, training camp because it really truly does make the defense have to defend the entire field. And so whether you're running the ball, if it's a short pass, intermediate pass, deep deep passes, screens, you know, little dump-offs, 
uh, the running game, the fly sweep, all of that stuff uh, makes the defense. They have to, if they want to get after Russell, if they want to pin their ears back and get after Russell Wilson in the passing game, they have to earn the right to do that. And if they can get through all of the, the those motions and movements and uh, different things they're doing in the passing game to get you in a third and long situation where they can just pin their ears back and go for it, then more power to them. But uh, I just think the way that the, the, the way that the offense looked uh, the first week, and I know that that's only a small part of what they're uh, what's in the what's in the package. Uh, I think it can be a beautiful thing for the rest of the season. It sure can. It was really awesome to see. Love the way you summarized it there too. He is Ray Roberts. You can hear him this weekend on the Seahawks pre and post game show, and every Thursday on the Huddle. Thanks for joining us today, Ray. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Enjoy talking to you. Thanks, always, Ray. Always, always. See you, Ray. All right. Uh, now we're going to be taking a step across enemy lines. We're going to have Ben Arthur, who's a former Seahawks reporter. He's reporting on the Titans right now, so offer us some unique insight. Before that, though, we're talking with the voice of the Seahawks himself, Steve Rabel. He joins us next on The Huddle. You are listening to The Huddle with Dave Wyman, Jake Heaps, and Stacey Ross. We're joined now by the voice of the Seahawks, Steve Rabel. Rabes, how are you? I'm great, guys. How are you doing? Very excited to uh, return to see the Seahawks at Lumen Field with fans in attendance. I mean, you were doing this all last year at home with no fans there. Are you excited to have them back? Uh, oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, it was it was actually even kind of fun. Uh, and I use that term loosely because I'm sitting, you know, a few feet away from Dave Wyman. Apologies. So I, I, yeah. Yes. So, but, Steve, I'm here, you know. Oh, really? Oh, we, oh, we know. I'm sorry. We okay. know. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> I have but, feelings yeah, also. I know. <laughs> I, I know you do, even though you're a defensive player. I know you do. Um, but there, there was this, this sense that just being in the stadium, watching the team there at Indianapolis, and it was, you know, so many, obviously, of Colts fans, but a huge number of Seahawks fans in the stadium, and all you had to do was listen for a big touchdown, and by the end of the game, it was nothing but Hawks fans left uh, at Lucas Oil. So uh, it's it's just going to be fun to have having twelves back uh, again this in, again this week. And listen, let's face it: if anybody has any question about how important uh, the twelves are, the fans are to the Seahawks, just look at the fact that they've won 17 of their last 18 home openers. I mean that that should say it all right there. That yes, the teams have been good. But when you got that kind of support in your home stadium, uh, you have a really good chance of winning. We've noticed that uh, over the last three or four years, Rabes, that the Seahawks fans, and I mean this in, in a totally complimentary way, <laughs> is that they've become those annoying fans that go on the road, like the Toronto Blue Jay fans oh, that man. come here. The Boston fans that the I Boston. had to experience at, at T-Mobile. Oh, they were yeah, sitting right T-Mobile. behind us. Gosh. Yeah, so, I mean, and, and not only that, Rabes, I mean, you, you look and we've been to all these stadiums, especially down in Arizona, those bright green or action green jerseys, those really stand out. So I... I'm very proud of our fans. Well, <laughs> and, you know, you don't, They've become annoying. Exactly. And you don't have to go to another NFL stadium. Remember a couple of years ago, it seems like a, a lifetime ago now, but that we went to London. Yeah. And it was like a home game at Wembley Stadium. That's right. And to see all of the Seahawks fans, both from this country and from all over Europe, that came down to see that game. So, yeah, the, the Seahawks travel well, as they say. Lots of Germans. Uh, well, a lot not, of Germans like that. Remember really? their their fan, their uh, twelve club or whatever was oh, like. Oh yes, it was like one hundred seventy thousand right. people or something right, like right. that. Right. Well, what? Lo- lots of Brits as well. Yeah, uh, we went to a couple of the of their big kind of uh, parties that they had uh, there in London before the game, and uh, and it was fun. It was great seeing all those folks and talking to them. And man, they listened to every word. Not that I say, but that oh, of says. course. Yeah, that's the thing we know now. That yeah. two things that Germans love. 
David Hasselhoff and Dave Wyman and Seahawk fans, <laughs> oh. yeah, and Seahawks or Steve Rabel actually. <laughs> You're right up there with David Hasselhoff. Oh, great, uh, Raves! <laughs> it's going to be amazing to get fans back in the stands as we talked about. But what player do you think is going to feed off of that energy the most? What player are you excited to watch interact with these fans? Well, you know, as Dave will will uh, tell you as well, I think the defense certainly uh, has the the advantage when the home team, uh, the home field is behind them and you got to think that it's going to be the guys coming off the edge that get the jump the those tackles are just listening and I I always think back to that New York Giants game gosh maybe it was back in 2013 might have been the Super Bowl year where their tackle just kept rocking back in his stance and there was something like six or seven false start penalties because of the crowd Eli Manning just kind of threw his hands up in the air half a dozen times uh, because he could not be heard by his offensive lineman. That has got to help Rasheem Green, Daryl Taylor. Uh, it's got to help uh, Carlos Dunlop. Those pass rushers coming off the edge. Uh, Jamal as well, only maybe to a little bit lesser extent. Uh, this this has got to be great for them to come home and have this crowd behind them. Is there a player you think could surprise Seahawks fans this year? Well, I think we've already, I don't know if we've been surprised by Daryl Taylor. We just didn't see him at all last season, at least defensively. You know, he was he was uh, nursing that, that uh, fractured leg and uh, had a rod pin in it, put in it, and they kept saying, you know, yeah, he, he may be able to get back by the end of the season. And perhaps by the playoff game, he was almost ready to play. But now he's had this whole offseason to prepare, get stronger, get ready. And, and what he's done, at least as we've watched in uh, preseason games, He's looked really good. He had a sack. Uh, Carson Wentz is still kind of shaking his head, saying, where the, where did he come from and get the license plate of the bus that just hit me? Because he leveled him. And those are the kinds of things that you hope to see out of a second-year guy. You know, sometimes rookies don't know what they don't know. But now he's already two years in, even though he didn't play. I, I feel pretty certain that he could have a really good year. By the way, that was my tribute to Norm McDonald, who passed away. Remember, he would yeah. always say, Germans love David Hasselhoff. Rabes, <laughs> <laughs> um, I thought Brian Monet was maybe, you know, and we talked about it earlier. I mean, he's been one of those guys that I think it's been hard for Seahawk fans to figure out. What, why do they like this guy? And I think it's because defensive tackles don't. You know, they just don't flash typically, unless you're an Aaron Donald or Cortez Kennedy. And, but what they do is the grunt work and all of the hard work inside. And And I thought it was really nice to see him. Remember the, the play where he picked Jonathan Taylor up off the ground and his feet were still moving? You know, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, was, it was like a little kid. Like, where are you going, little mister? I'm going to pick you up and slam you on the ground. But, you know, that I, th- I thought he, uh, yeah, D-line definitely was a highlight. And for a big guy who doesn't get a lot of props, I, I, I loved seeing him make some plays well you said the the fact that the seattle fans are are kind kind of trying to figure out you know how he does what he does and all that i'm still trying to figure out how this guy ended up being a free agent coming out of college i mean when you look at just his size coming out of michigan he's 345 pounds and that was probably a couple of stacks of pancakes ago (laughs) so he is a huge man he's got good feet and he's just that big space eater in the middle that you really need on a defense the way Pete wants to play defense. And, of course, this year, you know, they're kind of they're kind of uh, smashing down a little bit, to take one of your terms, on that defensive front, closing down those gaps a little across the front, the, the center guard gaps. 
And uh, I think it's just going to make it that much more difficult to run the football. Now, we'll find out how effective it is because you're going against the, what, the two-time uh, defending rushing champ in Derrick Henry this week. Yeah. And he tends to get most of his yards bouncing outside. And he's got deceptive speed, but he is a load to bring down. So this is going to be a real test for the defense. Raves, uh, you've seen a lot of great offensive football. You've seen great moments uh, here in Seattle. But there seemed to be something different about this group that we saw week one and had a lot of Seahawks fans excited. What was your perspective on witnessing this offense under Shane Waldron? What stood out to you? Well, it's it's interesting, Jape. And I just got done talking, as a matter of fact, literally uh, 10 minutes ago uh, to Dwayne Brown. Uh, going to be a part of the Seahawks Saturday Night Show uh, for us, and and I sort of asked him, you know, after the off season that you guys had, and then of course, you know, he was uh, not on the field during much of the practice sessions during training camp. But did it surprise you how well this kind of new look offense came out and performed? And he said, no, not at all. He said we really had a great feeling about this as the pieces started coming together. So uh, I, I guess what I'm saying is. What surprised me the most is how well they all played together that very first game. Mm-hmm. But then again, when you've got you know a franchise quarterback and Russell Wilson, you know pulling the trigger back there, you should expect that at the very least he's not going to make mental mistakes. Um, and you practice it enough, and we didn't see much of it in preseason because we never saw the starters. But you know that they were going over and over and over, and it seemed like Russ always had some place to go with the ball. There was never a time it didn't feel like to me. I know he got hit and sacked a couple times, but that he didn't have a place to go with the football. And he was scanning to find those places. One of them took him, what, 65 yards downfield to Tyler, but a number of them took him to little dump-off passes in the flat here or there. So I, I guess that's what's impressive about this offense and and how it's only the first game, how much better they can be as the season goes on. He is the voice of the Seahawks, Steve Rabel. Rabes, uh, I can't wait to hear you on the call. Again, I apologize that you're going to have to be next to Wyman for the entire hey, game. Hey, my hey, my I, thoughts are with you at this well, time. Bless you for that. I, I, uh, anytime. Uh, I, you know, I, I, I probably give Dave too much uh, too much trouble. So I, yeah, I like I apologize. said, I do have feelings, Steve. You don't <laughs> have to remember that. I, I do. I do, Dave. Thanks, Thanks. Rabes. Thanks, guys. See you, Rabes. See you later. All right, he is Steve Rabel, joins us every Thursday for the huddle, and obviously you can hear him on the call this Sunday. I have plenty of questions about the Titans. I know you guys have plenty of questions about the Titans so we can understand the opponent a little bit more. Thankfully, we're going to have some help doing it. Ben Arthur, who reports on the Titans for the Tennessean, going to join us next. This is the huddle with Dave Wyman, Jake Heaps, and Stacey Rost. The Seahawks are facing the Titans for their home opener this Sunday. So uh, for a look at the Titans, a look ahead to this Sunday matchup, we are bringing on Ben Arthur of the Tennessean. He covers the Titans out in Nashville. And also, Ben used to report on the Seahawks. So some really unique insight here. First of all, Ben, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? Thanks for having me on. We're excited to have you on. I mean, it's again, it's a, a really unique um, kind of insight into this because you have a very recent history of covering Seattle, and then now you're covering Tennessee. So it's kind of nice to be able to see how you think these two teams match up. So I'll start with a really obvious question. It's a big answer. There's a lot of answers, but I'll start with it. What the heck happened to the Titans in week one? It was an abysmal performance against the Cardinals. Yeah, it, it was pretty, yeah, it, it was pretty darn bad. A lot of people out here, are upset and and for good reason i mean there's a lot of talk of 
this Titans offense on paper maybe being the most talented in franchise history, and that's Titans or Oilers history. So, you know, it, it was pretty uh, inexcusable, a, a lot uh, of finger pointing uh, to, you know, to, to, to look at there. I think the first thing you have to look at is the lack of practice time that this first team Titans offense had. I mean, you know, Julio Jones missed a ton of time and he's, you know, working with a with a new quarterback. AJ Brown was in and out of practices. This starting offensive line really only had a handful of practices together before this opener uh, against Arizona. So I think that's number 1, but then within that, right? I think it you have to start with the offensive line. You know, Ryan Tannehill did not have time to to do anything because his guys his tackles, his guards, everyone wasn't, they weren't doing their job. Like I think Taylor Lewan is kind of the most notable example of just being beat so easily off of the edge uh, by Chandler Jones. Lewan's a guy who's coming off a torn ACL and, you know, it's, it's, it's a tough first ask, you know, your first game since tearing your ACL the previous season to go up against Chandler Jones. But, you know, the way he looked, that you certainly can't make excuses for that. And then they just couldn't get into their run game. And this Titans offense, as many people know from afar, is centered around Derrick Henry and establishing the run and working that play action off of establishing the run. And when you can't, when your O-linemen aren't able to do their job run blocking and, and to create those lanes for Derrick, I think you, you kind of get the, the downward spiral where you can't really do much of anything because you're very, the very heart of your offense, Derrick Henry, you're not getting him going. And so I think you look at the issues for the Titans, I think you have to look at that offensive line play. Yeah, and Ben, it sounds like, so first of all, uh, Taylor Lewan, he wasn't playing in the preseason because he had an ACL. And I think, I think it was uh, Mike Keith that told us you know, Quisenberry, who's the right tackle, was playing left. And also, didn't they have some COVID things? I mean, as far as the, the offensive line goes, where they, they missed some time, it sounded like they were kind of disjointed and, and a lot because of, you know, things that are going off, you know, whether it's an injury or a COVID uh, restriction. Exactly. Yeah, it was a lot of different things. I mean, you start with Taylor he, he did get a little bit of time in, in that last preseason game, but it was really just a, a couple series. It was just him to kind of get his feet under him before that week one game. But obviously he, he was limited basically the entire summer up until the final two weeks of the preseason. So there was that. And then the COVID, the, the, the Titans had a COVID situation during the summer to an, an, an outbreak, they had at one point, I want to say 12, 13 members of their you know organization that that includes coaches on the COVID list. And, and two of the guys on that list were their starting center and their starting right guard. And so those two guys, Ben Jones being the center, the right guard being Nate Davis, they didn't get back into practice until the Wednesday before the Arizona game. So there was that whole mess. And then, you know, with the, with the right tackle spot, it's that, that was kind of like the one spot on the O line where there were kind of concerns going into the season. 
Uh, the, the two of the, they basically had three veterans competing at that spot. And then two of the veterans at that spot at different times this summer were dealing with injuries and they weren't able to play. So it, it was a lot of things, right? It was Lawan's ACL situation. It was the COVID mess that happened. And then also, you know, just other injuries took, took place as well. So all of it made for sort of a disjointed and, uh, and, you know, a Titans offensive line that just didn't have much playing time together heading into that Arizona game. Ben, uh, obviously the focus has been on the Titans offense, and rightfully so. It is the strength of that team. It's one of the reasons why everybody was so excited and hyped up about the Titans this year and their chances. But uh, what about the defense? Uh, the, the defense has continued to struggle. They struggled mightily against the Cardinals. Uh, they were a bottom-end unit last year, and it's very odd to have that be the case with such a defensive-minded head coach and Mike Vrabel. What are some of the issues there on the defense side of the ball for the Titans? Yeah, I think, first of all, with, with, with the Titans' defense, they're working in a lot of new starters. So, as you mentioned, yeah, that unit last year was was pretty bad. They had a historically that they were worst in the league in third down efficiency. Like it was historically bad. They they were giving up nearly a 52% conversion rate on third down, and they only had 19 sacks last year, which was tied for the worst for like a playoff team in in NFL history. So it was pretty bad. They they overhauled the defensive side of the ball. They have six new starters, including you know Bud Dupree. But he's the thing with Dupree, and similar to Lawan on the offensive side, is you know D D Dupree is coming back from a torn ACL. He only played a handful of games with the Steelers last year, and so he's at a point where he's not at a hundred percent. You have one of, one of their key inside linebackers, Jayon Brown. You know, one of their top cover guys. He he missed a lot of time last year on IR. He's one of their key guys in the middle there. And then with that secondary, three of the four secondary guys in that base look are new. The, the only one re, uh, returning into the starting lineup is Kevin Byard. So a lot of kind of new faces, still a lot of chemistry that, that kind of needs to be worked out. There were They did make positive strides in the summer over the preseason for whatever that's worth. They were pretty dominant, actually, and, and third down was, as you can imagine, it was a very big emphasis into heading into this season. But as we saw against the Cardinals, they're, they're just not there yet. It, it, and I think going up against an offense like Arizona and with a quarterback as mobile and as shifty as Kyler Murray, I don't, I don't know that there's – there are other mobile quarterbacks, but I don't know that there's one as – shifty as Kyler Murray that that was very hard for the, the Titans to contain I mean even when they did get good pressure Kyler was able to sort of elude that and, and make something out of nothing on third down three of the Cardinals four passing touchdowns came on third down so that was a real you know a backbreaker for the Titans and so yeah, so so heading into into this game with the Seahawks going up against another phenomenal mobile quarterback in mm -hmm. Russ, I, I don't know how much can change defensively in in a seven day span. So kind of going back to the offense, I think it's really going to be 
depend on the offense to kind of get it turned around because I think this defense could be better later in the season, but with how many new guys you're still working in and some of those new guys you have who are still kind of coming back from injuries, I, I it's kind of hard to imagine the Seahawks not putting up a lot of points at Lumen Field on Sunday. Good news for Seattle, but definitely a big task for the defense to stop their weapons. He is Ben Arthur, a Titans beat reporter for the Tennessean. If you want to follow him for updates during the game, Seahawks fans, you can on Twitter at Ben Y. Arthur. Also, since all of you listening are Seahawks fans, uh, he's got a really cool interview with DK Metcalf that's pinned right at the top. A really cool look into his background. So not just Titans news there. Thanks so much, Ben. Thank you, Stacey. Thanks for having me on. See ya. All right. Uh, now we're going to um, kind of like wrap things up, take a look ahead. You guys, I've been seeing so many questions about um, playing specifically in the rain. So we are going to mention that. I know I know that some people have full confidence, but Jake, I'll probably throw that one to you specifically. So uh, we'll come back with, with our keys to the game, with our final thoughts on the game ahead of this week two matchup between the Seahawks and Titans. This is The Huddle. You're listening to The Huddle with Dave Wyman, Jake Keeps, and Stacey Ross. We are getting you guys ready for the Seahawks' home opener, Week 2, against the Tennessee Titans. It's a return to Lumen Field for fans for the first time in a year. As a reminder, make sure to bring your masks. Regardless of your vaccination status, you will need a mask, and you'll also need proof of vaccination if you are over 12 years old uh, to enter. If you're under 12, thank you for listening. Um, stay in school. I'm really proud of you. Yeah, and uh, don't. All the things that I say, yeah, don't, don't you kids do that. Listen, listen, <laughs> don't listen to Wyman. If you're over 12, you will need proof of vaccination or you need uh, a negative COVID test result taken 72 hours. So make sure uh, if you won't have a vaccination card, get out there today to take your test. Um, I'm going to, I want to make sure we get to our thoughts and kind of how we're wrapping up with the day, but I have seen so many questions on Twitter over the course of the last couple days about poor weather this weekend. It could be raining on Sunday. How much harder does that make it? A question for both of you in terms of both your pass game and also tackling well linebacker you know doesn't really affect <laughs> doesn't affect me too much you know it's funny is i don't remember playing in the rain that much now what? obviously i was playing in the kingdom for most of my career but mm -hmm. like in you know on the road and stuff i don't remember i remember in denver one time it rained the entire the weather in Denver can change like within an hour, go, you know, like yeah. drop like 40 degrees. But I remember it rained the whole first half and then the second half it was snowing and frozen. So that that was difficult, you know, but I mean, as far as ball security goes and things like that. Yeah. By the way, uh, Darius Leonard, that was just a lucky punch out. I mean, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. I don't see anything that Carson did. And the reason why I'm bringing it up is because you're going to have a slippery football. So right. you got to you got to have ball security and. You know, the, the Seahawks gave up, um, you know, and they went even in the turnover ratio. By the way, uh, the Titans were like number one in turnover they ratio were. last year. They were. They were. So. I think they had 20. They had 20 uh, turnovers or uh, over 20 turnovers in total. And they had 13 interceptions. Uh, yeah, and they in, only had 12 giveaways. And that's the big part of it. Right. right. Yeah. They were they were amongst the best in turnover ratio. Uh, and, but a big part of that was cornerback Malcolm Butler. And he's no longer on the team. So when Ben Arthur, you know, who we were talking about, uh, talking with er, uh, this last segment, talking about how there's so much turnover on defense, there's six new defensive starters. Some of those struggles are from talent. And some of those struggles are just not being on the same page. And that's something that stood out to me as I'm watching the film of the Tennessee Titans, uh, you know, of this last week against the Cardinals. That's something that doesn't get solved and fixed 
in a week. Mm-hmm. And we had that experience here in Seattle as well, and, and it took nearly half the season to get that corrected and get that right. So the Seahawks offense, obviously, with the weather, with that being into consideration, you have to take care of the football. You have to protect the football. Turnover margin is huge in the game. Uh, but it's also an opportunity for you to continue to keep stacking really good performances together offensively against a unit that's really struggling. Uh, That's what ultimately I want to see out of the Seahawks offense. Yeah. What we learned today too, I'll say, like Ben said, there could be some nice opportunities here for Russell Wilson and the offense to put up points against a Tennessee defense that's struggling. Like you said, Jake, to get on the same page defensively, you've got to keep their best weapons at bay. I don't know about you guys. I'm, I'm, sure that you feel the same I'm not expecting a repeat horrible performance on offense I think there's plenty of room for improvement yeah. and it's hard not to imagine that one of the trio of AJ Brown Derrick Henry or Julio Jones uh, can't come in and potentially have a big day so what then becomes the most important parts of this game for Seattle's defense yeah well I'll start with I think those three guys uh, we would all agree they're extra meeting guys Oh, you know, sure. and that's the thing when you you look at, uh, you know, some Russell's an extra meeting guy, mm-hmm. uh, DK, probably maybe Lockett too. But, mm-hmm. you know, how are you going to handle these guys? So, you know, you wonder if maybe you're going to get help over the top. Make sure, you know, all your underneath droppers, meaning, you know, linebackers and safeties, make sure you get deep drops so you're helping out the corners. And then, you know, with Derrick Henry, I mean, you just have to be physical. You have to come downhill, you know, and just smash mouth football. So, and I'm sure he's going to be running hard. And that was, you know, one of the things I thought last year, early on, especially, they were more of a finesse defense than a hit you in the mouth defense. So, and we saw a little bit of that. I thought the D line was really good. The D line can get him before he gets going. That'd yeah. be nice. That'd be great. I mean, but it's we're laughing, but it's exactly what Arizona did. You had the stats about his first half, and they yeah. held him to something like fifty-six or fifty-eight yards on the ground for the day, and I'm, that was a big part of it. Yeah, eight yards on nine carries in the first half. Wild. So yeah, and then you know, pretty good third quarter. But um, yeah, that's that's something that hopefully this D line will be able to get going. I thought also the fact that uh, the D line is so deep, like the rotation, you can put any group in there and feel pretty comfortable for Seattle yeah for for the Seahawks so yeah I thought that that group really stood out and and again I think Daryl Taylor could be that dynamic guy but how about Ryan Tannehill you know that's another story we didn't even talk about him but I mean he had one winning uh, season in Miami Mm -hmm. and a lot of it has to do with who he was surrounded by and everything but you know he kind of has resurrected his career there and you know he cer- certainly has. Didn't have a great – I mean, it's nice he has those weapons, but I feel like he was just an okay franchise quarterback with Miami, and then he goes to Tennessee and starts to win, and I feel like he, he's got the right formula there. He yeah. does, and and Stacy brought this up uh, it, during Jake and Stacy uh, earlier today is the fact that, you know, he has been able to have a resurrection of his career, but at the same time, they just changed offensive coordinators. Who was a you know Arthur Smith, who's now the head coach at the Atlanta Falcons. Yeah, it's a he former was, tight ends coach now. He was sir. a he was a big reason, big reason why they were successful on offense. And now can the former tight end coach mm-hmm. step in as the OC and carry on that mantle and and carry on that tradition that they've been able to develop offensively over the past two seasons? That that remains to be seen. Uh, they certainly have the weaponry, but the one thing that the Cardinals did so well, the Seahawks did so well against Carson Wentz, was the consistent and constant pressure. Don't let those guys get comfortable. They are good quarterbacks. If you give them time, they are good enough to beat you. 
But if you get in their face, if you rattle them a little bit, speaking as a former quarterback, it changes your eyes. It changes the way you feel the game and, and how comfortable you sit in that pocket. So if the Seahawks can recreate that, that's going to be that's going to be a tremendous step for them to show that consistent pass rush. Uh, I, I think that that will be something I will be definitely keeping an eye for. All right, let's just do like a basic keys to the game, and it's just a way to summarize up a lot of these points anyways. I'll go first with a very, very basic one, which you could say is the key to the game anytime, but the Cardinals had a ton of success with it. So that's specifically converting on third down and the red zone. I'd love to see it be a key to the game for this one just because it's a basic football principle, like a fundamental thing to do, but also because of the recent opportunity Arizona had to be so effective there. They were 54% on third down and 80% in the red zone. And lastly, Seattle actually struggled there last year. No matter how effective their offense was early in the season, they finished with record numbers from their two wide receivers from Russell Wilson, uh, but they still weren't great on third down. So I would love to see that continue. Yeah, well, I think they can take advantage of this defense. You mentioned the six new players that Ben Arthur told us about. I guess last year they were dead last in third down conversion. Their defense, 52%, they were given up. And then they had... It was either 17 or 19 sacks that they got, which is interesting because Jadavian Clowney was on that D-line right. for a little while, and it's like that guy just sucks the sacks out of the room <laughs> for whatever reason. I mean, the same thing, you know, in 2019, the Seahawks had 28 sacks, which isn't as bad. I mean, they're in the teens. I think it was 17 or 19. You know, that's that's terrible. So, I mean, not a lot of pass rush there and not very good on third down. So, you know, if the, the Seahawks defense, you know, gets taken advantage of a little bit by these by these guys, they come back and, and you know, it might be a shootout. It might be that kind of that kind of game. But I, I have a lot of confidence in the offense. And I'd say going in, if you ask me which side of the ball I have more confidence in, it's the offense. Yeah. Jake, I'm awful and I left you like 30 seconds. That's okay. okay. I can handle it. All right. I'm a quarterback. No, we me. can audible. We there can make this happen. So <laughs> I I walk into the same situation as Dave. If you would have told me before the season started, what's this game going to be like? I would have said a shootout. But the way the defense played last week against the, against the Colts, against a really good running game in Jonathan Taylor, uh, it really encouraged me. You obviously see the Tennessee Titans really struggle offensively, the offensive line. I believe those things are real, and I don't believe that you can just change those things in a week uh, with a limited amount of practice time. Uh, so I think this game ultimately comes down to how well the Seahawks' defense plays, how good that front seven plays, and can they limit Derrick Henry from being a true difference maker in the game? Tremendous t- challenge tremendous task uh nearly impossible but the cardinals showed that they could do it they gave them the formula and if the seahawks can can replicate that aspect of it you might have another very comfortable win for the seahawks all right that is the huddle with dave wyman jake heaps and stacy ross thank you guys so much for tuning in we hope that you enjoyed our uh, two-hour preview of this upcoming week two matchup uh make sure to bring the energy it's the home opener this sunday